Hi, and welcome to EC Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge with gratitude that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish, Quaquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Stolo peoples. So on today's episode, I am honored to be speaking to Julie, who is coming to us from Inspired ECE. So welcome, Julie. Thanks, Kayla. I'm really happy to be here with you tonight. I'm super excited to speak to you. Um, I had a little bit of a look at your uh, Instagram page. I believe it's uh, your, it connects to your link tree. And um, everything that I've read was just so amazing and so mesmerizing. It seems like you have so much knowledge and so much experience under your belt. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in early childhood education and what it is that you do? Sure. So I've been an early childhood educator for 20 years. I started out working for the Rec Commission in the preschool and parent participation programs. And then I moved into being the director of a, a nonprofit preschool um, that was also parent participation. And then continuing on to supervise three to five after school care, infant toddler programs, and then into center management. So I've been really lucky in my career to have very diverse experiences and um, working for nonprofit and private has given me a lot of insight. Amazing. And so what is it that has inspired you to do? Um, is it professional development that is really your forte? Yeah, I started my company Inspired ECE 12 years ago. So I, I used to travel around the country and now I Zoom around the country. Wow, um, so yeah. <laughs> for early childhood educators and family childcare providers. And throughout my career, I really have been dedicated to my journey as an educator and constantly searching out resources of learning, whether it was connections with colleagues and mentors or just reading anything I could get my hands on. Um, and then attending so many different workshops. And I thought, you know what? This is maybe something I wanna do. And a program development manager I had asked me to do it for another childcare organization. She said, will you go teach a workshop? And I thought, sure, it was on program planning and program development. And I knew five minutes into the workshop that I wanted to start my own business. And it's been amazing. Just connecting with educators across the country. And now during COVID, being able to offer not only uh, the facilitation aspect, but also support. And just being there for educators um, has been incredible and amazing. And what a great and amazing way to not only use um, the gift in your experience, not only, and I think this is um, a big thing that a lot of us sort of have a hard time wrapping our heads around is that in early childhood education, there are so many different ways in which we can go and our paths can lead us. It's not always necessarily only at a center, um, you know, being with children on the floor, that's wonderful. And if you want to do that for, you know, X amount of years, it's highly needed and that experience is needed, but also just having that, um, that drive and that power to say there that your experience and what you've learned and your passions can go in so many other different directions. And I think that's very inspiring, especially for more and more younger people who are coming into the field. And even those of us who may have been into in the field a little bit longer and are having, you know, we, we come at a roadblock, I find many times um, in our career. So I think that's just so amazing and so inspiring. I think too, as educators, we go 
through stages and phases in our careers, right? I got to a point years ago where I wanted to teach at college. So I got a job as a coordinator of an EC college program and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved arranging practicums. I loved being in the classroom every day. I really loved and still do supporting students. And I think there's so many different avenues, whether you work for uh, and become a community partner, like a licensing officer or for supported childcare and development or for a CCRR. There are so many different things that we can do, Mm -hmm. which I think is one of the most amazing special parts of our field. Absolutely. And it's exactly like you said, taking those passions and garnering them into those different um, avenues, something that's very needed. And I think that's something that, again, just being aware of is extremely important. For sure. Absolutely. And so um, your workshops, if I'm not mistaken now, are very much based on the idea of professional development. Um, And I would assume that means personal, um, professional 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 development. I teach workshops for um, center teams a lot for the CCRs across the country. And something I've done when I've looked at um, preparing and creating workshops is making sure that there's something for everyone. I just actually created a series uh, for management. So it's a lot about cohesive team culture, thinking about communication, which is so very important no matter what your role is mm-hmm. in our field. And then looking at a new one that I just created, which is about supporting the transition for educators into management roles. Yeah. And when we created that, I thought about, wow, you know, I had to do all my own research and, and, you know, discussions with mentors and all of that. There was not really that many courses out there when I first became a supervisor. Right. And I sort of thought, what can I do to support those educators that are thinking about making that transition? And also on the flip side, for managers about how can I help support with strategies that they can do about building an internal leadership and thinking about opportunities that they can use to prepare educators that want to make that next step, especially within the same organization. So that, and then I do other workshops on things like connections to nature. I'm about to launch a new one on seasonal planting um, in early childhood settings. So there's kind of something for everyone. I love that. And I, I really love the idea of trying to do um, something, especially when it comes to educators who maybe want to take on that management role, but sometimes there's a bit of a hesitancy. There can be a little bit of a fear and it's all, and I, I think that's a really good point to bring out because I think, again, something that a lot of people are not aware of is even within the world of early childhood, we're also kind of smashing the borders of patriarchal thinking, you know, that there's, boss and then the rest of us are just sort of the minions that have to follow what this what this person says when in reality um there should not be those different titles and if you do have somebody who has say more responsibility than the other that's literally what it just means is that if things really go hard or something really goes downhill this is the person that you should go to or that you should look to for guidance if you yourself are you know are needing that and I think that is something that is lacking in so many centers in early childhood education. I love that you talked about that or I touched on that because many years ago, I had a program development manager say to me, a program should run the same way if you, the supervisor, is there or not. We all take vacations. We all have sick days. She said, but it's up to you to prepare for the team so that that's okay and that happens. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, of course. 
So thinking about how do I do that? How do I build in internal leadership opportunities and strategies for them to do that? Um, if someone wants to try being an acting supervisor when I was on vacation or thinking about, um, you know, internal program opportunities that are there, you know, being in charge of practicum students, things like that, that get people ready and, and feel comfortable with those um, additional responsibilities when we're not just saying, okay, you're going to be a full-fledged supervisor. Here you go. You know, that they feel prepared for to take that on and feel confident. And I love it when I see educators that um, take on a, a, additional roles and feel so good about it and mm -hmm. feel prepared for it. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why I made this management series to kind of offer that for people and to give them a little bit more insight too. And also to encourage managers to share, yeah. not taking on everything. Delegation is good. It Absolutely. really is. Right. And like, taking that on and being comfortable for that. And, and you don't have to have the answer to everything and really share with your team. And I think that I'd like to see more of that. And I, I talk a lot about that in my cohesive team culture workshop. It's about the culture within the program and within the team that's created. Decisions are made collectively, not solely by one person. Yes. And I think that's amazing to really point out and it's going to take a while to again just kind of continue crashing these barriers but I think the harder that we fight against them and sort of have you know maintain this idea that you know it, it's not just one person up here and the rest of us down here and this person is the ever knowing and we just need to follow along when and I mean I have worked in those centers where it is very patriarchal again um, where what the senior says or what the what the supervisor says is law and you can't go around it or you there's no discussion it's just it's black or white um and now i'm fortunate to work in a center where you know it is very cohesive everybody talks about you know what 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 our feelings are about a certain decision it's not just this is set in stone this is the way things are and that's the end of it. And those sort of environments make for happier educators and for people to want to come into work and feel like they have a voice that is being heard. When you look at those inquiry-based questions that we ask children, why are we not asking those to educators? Like, how about, what do you think? Right. Yeah. Like in a situation, I remember the first time I asked an educator, well, what do you think when we were problem solving this whole situation? And she kind of paused and I said, no, no, I really want to know what you, what you think and we're going to solve yeah. this together. Right. And I think we need to step back, take a moment. I really feel in our whole industry, we need to stop rushing mm -hmm. and really take a moment, be more present and also be modeling in those situations for younger, newer educators. That's professional development in itself. Yes. Those moments of modeling, asking people more questions, get people more involved uh, and, and work as a collective. It's so beneficial. Absolutely. And so I want to ask you then, what does professionalism mean? What does it look like to you? And why is this so essential, especially in early childhood education? So for me personally, I've always looked at the ECEBC code of ethics as a standard in all areas of my practice. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's a document that I reflect on regularly and I would refer to often when I was teaching at college, I would actually start each one of my classes with the ECEBC code of ethics. 
Mm -hmm. I think it's a great place to start. It's a foundation. And I think when we're talking about professionalism and looking at a standard, um, this is a wonderful document to be familiar with and to reflect on on a regular basis. Even after 20 years, it's something that I look at regularly. Yeah. And, and I think it's important for all of us to do that. You know, also thinking about when you look at the definition of professionalism as a competence um, or skill that's expected of a professional that can be, you know, uh, or, or can encompass so many different variables like teaching uh, or treating each other uh, with kindness, dignity and respect, honoring different cultures, traditions and child rearing practices that may differ from our own and looking at any possible biases that we may have that could impact um, or you know, affect our connections or relationships with others. And I think we really have to pull that apart when we're looking at professionalism and look at it in a very honest, mindful way. And it seems that a lot of also what you're saying really comes back to the idea of self-reflection, of constantly not only questioning what is happening around you, what is happening in your practice, what is happening with the children or the other people that you work with, but also how are you reacting to the situation? How, um, how do you work um, in the environment? Or in, in shorter words, just questioning what it is that you do. And, you know, not even saying, is it right or is it wrong? But even just saying, why do I do the things that I do? Absolutely. And I really love that you talked about reflection. For me as an educator, every night I ask myself reflective questions. What did I learn today? How did I support or help the learning of a child or another educator? What can I do maybe differently tomorrow and to know that tomorrow's another day? I always try to have that 10 minutes of reflection at the end of every day. And I think that's part of professionalism as well. And also looking at your dedication to being a lifelong learner. To me, that's directly correlated with professionalism. Absolutely. Always never coming to the conclusion that you know everything. No, I mean, even 20 years in, I love it when I learn from practicum students, you know, anyone, anytime, or when I come home and I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen today. Or that child showed me something brand new that I didn't know was going to happen. I absolutely love that. It just feeds my soul. Absolutely. And, and I think that also takes a very open person to be able to feel comfortable enough and confident enough to not only question your, yourself, but also be able to take, um, to take those harder questions that may be coming from you, you know, your co-educators. And I think that takes a lot of trust and a lot of, again, confidence um, in yourself to be able to have somebody um, be able to say to you, or, you know, I'm wondering why it is that you're doing what you're doing, or have you thought about this, this, and that, or just having those little conversations um, about what goes on throughout the day or what may, or a situation that may have happened in the week or whatever it is. And, you know, coming to that understanding that this is not coming from a place of malice, it's coming from a, a place of caring, a place of giving, of, of wanting to help you be um, the best educator that you can be. And I think to speak to that openness, to be able to 
to explain, take the time to talk about the whys or that type of thing and make sure that that's a priority for, for you um, as possibly a senior educator, because we want to create a culture where educators know that they can come to us and ask that, that we welcome that and that we even welcome feedback because that's so important for us, right? And I think that that just speaks to uh, the atmosphere the culture that's created and uh, and the vibe within the center as well. For sure. And so I want then to ask you, how do you think that we can really raise the standard in, early, in ECE um, through professionalism? And what are some of the key steps that we all need to collectively take to make this happen? This is such a wonderful question and it has so many layers to it. And I think if we look at it from a center level, are the programs uh, sorry? Are there programs in place that offer learning opportunities, continual opportunities for educators within that organization to support that ongoing development? For example, yearly professional development days or uh, workshops that are being brought in in the evenings for educators, internal leadership opportunities, and individual and team goals. This is something that I absolutely loved doing with educators when I was a manager is I would set up a meeting with each educator once a month, we'd spend about 15 minutes together and collectively we'd come up with a goal that they were like an area that they wanted to work on or, or learn more about. And then we would look at resources that they needed, support that they might need from me, any possible barriers that would could be in the way. And then we would look at professional development opportunities that we could attach to it as well. We have budgets for those, um, opportunities to be provided and thinking about involving the educators um, in their own continual learning and not thinking about professional development is something that I have to do. It's something I really want to do. And the goals were incredible. Like everyone had so many different areas that they wanted to explore. And I just, really enjoy doing that and being able to support educators um, in that way. And for me, I learned so much too, just the connection that we would have and the dialogue and conversation. It was great. And I love goals. I'm a big goal person. So I think it's great too. And modeling for them to see that I have my own goals and I would openly talk about what those were for them. And they would get excited for me when I would do new things too. So I think that that's uh, really important for us to be able to do. And then looking at um, all the wonderful provincially funded initiatives, such as the peer mentoring project for early childhood educators in BC. It was such an exceptional way to highlight the importance of mentorship in the field of early childhood education and establishing connections between newer educators and those who have been in the field for many years, giving educators the opportunities to share knowledge, wisdom, and experience, which I think is so important to shine that light on mentorship and how we go about that within the field and encouraging educators to explore professional development options such as the hub online uh, it's a great platform that was created in 2019 as part of the bc childcare plan to extend online learning options in the ec sector and then also there's so many wonderful opportunities. You know, the hub always has new uh, workshops posted. Early years professional development portal is fantastic. Lots of listings across the province, which I think is wonderful too. When we talk about online learning now, there are so many amazing options that educators can access in different provinces. Uh, you know, I've even accessed 
professional development in different countries. Wow. It was so incredible to sit in on um, a leadership, a network uh, webinar in South Carolina. Oh, wow. <laughs> different perspectives, right? Oh, and uh, Right? And I love that because, you know, child, child care practices are very different, yeah. you know, in different parts of the world. Um, so that was really, really exciting. And then also the BC Aboriginal Society is also a good source for professional development uh, for community members uh, to access as well. So with online learning, being able to go um, from province to province, you know, you might see something that we didn't offer here in BC that you might want to try in Manitoba uh, or something like that, which is great. And I know for me as a facilitator, being able to talk to educators all over the country has been fabulous. Um, and just seeing, hearing their points of view and perspectives and their questions um, has been thoroughly enjoyable. And it's interesting how since COVID, we actually have gotten closer. Um, right? Like you said, cross country in, in the field of early childhood. It's, it's actually amazing how COVID was a little bit of a blessing in that sense because- It was a benefit for us. Right? In like, there, was a, there was a silver lining to this pandemic and this quarantine because- you know, and just even talking um, with educators in the in the centers where in the society that I work with, um, you know, we took that opportunity to just you know really get to expand our minds to take all the workshops that were being offered, and like you said, to really connect with so many different educators from not only across the province or but across across country and speaking to all those different perspectives was so mind opening and, and at times mind boggling. Um, but it really gave you a sense of the similarities that we're going through as well as the differences. And that was, that was very, um, enlightening and very, uh, very amazing. It's really interesting too. Something that I do at the end of my workshops is I do a question and answer period for about 10 minutes. And I said, I always say, you know what, everybody, we don't just have to talk about the topic of today. Yes. Whatever we want to talk about, let's just have a chat. Totally. And they, you know, it's so great. Everybody loves to talk and ask questions. And sometimes I even just do breathing exercises in those okay. um, question and answer periods because I can tell from the educators' faces, they just had a bit of a day. And they yeah. just... <laughs> do some breathing and so we do that and that's okay and and it's a great way to connect support each other and you know even just say i hear you i yes. see you i hear you um and to have a good laugh sometimes too which is is great and i also want to say i think um would it be safe to also say that social and you know not just having the professional development workshops or the pro or you know the pro d days um or the after evening workshops but even just having simple things like a spring barbecue um amongst all the educators or like a christmas party or sorry a holiday party or um you know it does and i like how you bring that up it doesn't always have to be around quote, the, you know, our work life. I mean, we we're social beings, especially in the world of early childhood, you know, you have to be so open to be able to build those relationships, connect with, you know, so many different people that just giving, I, I want to say that just giving your educators that opportunity to just be together, I think is extremely beneficial to really even just build those closer relationships. So much so, and I think there's such a sense of community within the early childhood education field. And, and when I think about my even core friend group, 
five of them are early childhood educators. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just, just yes. like, oh, you, you get me. Yes. Right? You, For you, myself, you I think that. like most of my friends and like a few, um, like a few relatives, uh, you know, from marriage or from not from, from marriage, you know, from family, I think like a good 75% of us are in the education field in some form or another. Yeah. And I think it's really great to, even when you're in a program, I always, um, as a manager, would plan fun events for them um, just to, you know, just to go out and have a good time. And it doesn't have to be a major thing. I would even do something like, like little handwritten thank you notes, just thanking them for something that they've done or just acknowledging the efforts too. It is great. And I think with professional development, we get caught up sometimes in thinking that it's formal. It's yes. a, a workshop or it's a webinar. It can be something as, as amazing as a conversation. Yes. Just a conversation between a peer, a colleague, a mentor, um, or even reading an article. Like yeah. I would use a website called Mind Tools all the time uh, for myself for management um, situations. There's another website called Red Leaf Press, which is incredible. It has amazing uh, yeah. books, yeah. which yeah. I love. And, you know, thinking about, uh, uh, you know, thinking outside the box, I should say, about professional development it doesn't just have to be um what has been traditional and now with online there's so many things that you can do i mean now they just have networking yes so are offering networking which is great yeah educators can just sit and talk and, and learn from each other sometimes there's speakers sometimes there isn't but it's still professional development or even just like you know connecting with people on linktree it's amazing how how connected that has made um has made all of us for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I say so many options out there. Right. And, yeah. and I think that, um, it's, it's exploring that and hopefully having people within your, uh, circle that are like-minded that way and really encourage that and, um, and, uh, really support you in your journey and doing that. Absolutely. And I think that's a really big, um, again, something that's very important to point out is that it's wonderful if you yourself have that drive to want to learn more, to want to seek better, to want to um, improve yourself in terms of your practice or whatever it is. But even just having that team behind you, just to give you that hurrah, that push to, you know, it's very reassuring when somebody is there, you know, just basically cheering and chanting you on, especially when it comes from a, you know, a management um, position, you know, to be able to tell you like, you're doing a good job, continue going. Like, I mean, I almost want to compare us to the children in that sense, you know, when, you know, a child finally learns to put on his, uh, his or her slippers, you know, what's the first thing we do? We clap, we make a big deal out of it. We say, you know, good for you. I knew you could do it. Celebration, celebrative, like celebrative moments are not just for the children. They yep. are for educators too, right? And you need to make sure to acknowledge that and, and to say to educators, you know, when they, when you can see that someone's a bit nervous, you've got this, it's going to yeah. be okay. Um, and I find myself a lot of times lately saying to educators and workshops, give yourself the grace to know that you are doing the best that you can right now. Yes, absolutely. 
And I think it's also one of those other things, like, you know, if, if you fall, you dust yourself off and pick yourself up and we keep going. Totally. And I think that that's um, so important. And even thinking about, um, I had a girlfriend, another educator call me the other day and we were talking about the environment. And I mean, we haven't worked together for years, but we're still really good friends and just bouncing ideas off of each other um, is so important, right? And being able to have that um, within your daily practice and people that you can go to is so, so uh, vital, I think. Yes. You need to feel safe. You need to feel welcome and you need to feel like you belong where you are. Otherwise it's, you're doing a disservice to yourself. And I think that's, again, something that's very hard for a lot of people. And I wonder if it also has to do with, um, a lot of the times on how we were, you know, this past idea of how many of us were raised to say, like, you stick it through, you know, if you don't like it, things could be worse. Keep going, keep going, stick it through. And also understanding that, you know, there's nothing wrong with changing if you don't feel good where you are. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think the more experiences that you have, or the wider your experiences are, the more of a well-rounded educator you're going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about over my 20-year career, if I hadn't had the different experiences that I had, and then those experiences within those experiences, I don't think that I would be able to support people in the way that I can now or that I love to do, and the growth that's come um, from those experiences, and, uh, and that I'm still having 20 years in which, which I, I absolutely love. But yes, I, I really think that um, people need to give themselves the permission to find what's working for them. And if you're not learning to ask yourself, is this still right, the right thing for me, right spot for me, right you know, program? Yeah. And I think a lot of the times that's very much, um, you know, and I, this is very true for me. Like you, you're your own worst enemy. And just trying to bring yourself past that idea can sometimes just be a, that's, that's a, um, that's a success in itself, you know, to be able to say, okay, this is not clearly, I'm not happy. This is not what's working for me. I just making, just being able to make that decision to say, I'm going to change it is a big step. And the self doubt of, well, I could just stay and do this, or I could, I could not, I could make the jump. Mm -hmm. And then what's the difference between staying and jumping? How are you going to get yourself to do that? Right. And that's why I love goals because goals really sort of help with that kind of situation. I found that's my personal experience anyways. And even like, you know, and I think that's also something that's very important. It's one thing to, to write a goal down and set it. But the other important aspect to that is you have your goal. Now your next step is to figure out what are the steps you have to take in order to get to that end result. For sure. For totally, for sure. I 100% agree with that. Perfect. And so what are your big thoughts on professional development? And most importantly, do you think that ECEs should be able to choose anything as long as they get those hours in? I mean, you know, and even then, you know, to to um, renew your license to practice, it's only what, 40 hours per every five years. So in retrospect, it's not a little, it's not a lot of time. It's maybe two, three workshops a year. So interesting. So 
I hope that all educators and anyone involved in our sector has access to a wide variety of experiences uh, when it comes and options when it comes to professional development. And for me, professional development, as I've said earlier, is about so many different types of situations and connections um, uh, for community members to share, collaborate, and encourage and support one another. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think, like I, I was talking about earlier, that we get caught up in that formalization of professional development and we have to push past that yes. and look for different types of opportunities and looking at the, the diversity of the experiences that we are choosing. I was taking a workshop actually um, earlier this week and one of the facilitators said something that really resonated with me. She said, hopefully we as educators are able to meet children and families where they are when they enter into our programs. And I thought, wow, right, absolutely. Yeah. But how do we get to that place where we can do that? Totally. And then when I reflected on it for a little while, I thought, well, that comes from modeling, yeah. that comes from mentorship, that comes from openness, that comes from curiosity, and that comes from professional development. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we all have a, um, an attitude that is in that area and to be able to do that and being mindful of the choices of professional development opportunities that we're choosing, yes. uh, get there. Perfect. And this is also, a, that, that kind of brings me to my next point, being mindful about the professional developments that we are choosing. I mean, this is something that um, myself and a couple of other uh, educators have spoken about. Uh, you know, we've almost wondered sometimes. Again, going back to the to this um, to the fact that we only require forty hours of professional development um, every five years, and there is no um, rules, for lack of better words, as to what those professional development hours look like. So you know, it could be uh, 40 hours of, you know, learning how to do a felt story or, um, uh, you know, an arts and crafts for lack of better words or something on the outdoor environment. But should it be, I, I've always wondered whether or not it should be mandated to say uh, that it is more valuable for educators um, to get uh, you know, for most educators to to take workshops that have to do with, let's say, trauma-enforced practice or, um, you know, anti-racist uh, classrooms or, you know, understanding Indigenous people's history um, here in Canada and why that is significant, you know, especially in the world of early childhood. I definitely think there needs to be some type of requirements. Uh, for me, looking at definitely some um, allocation of hours towards early learning framework, mm -hmm. for sure. And I think, yes, I think we have to really look at uh, making some changes in that area uh, and not just leaving it open to um, whatever you want to do. Because, you know, as great as those felt workshops can be, um, I think we need, to, <laughs> we need to diversify what we are doing and really look at um, making sure that our choices support the children and families within our programs to the best of our ability, right? That, that is our 
hopefully our end goal is to be able to provide quality experiences for children and families. Yes. And how do we get there? Uh, not by taking the same course over and over again. Totally. I mean, and, and that's very true because one of the things that I have always said is ECE and childhood and even um, parenting or teaching has always been um, ever changing. It's never been, you know, status quo. It is always changing. And you need to be able to go with the punches and continue and, you know, be able to adapt and go with the change. And, you know, I had somebody who, you know, I worked in, in a place where it was very like, this is the way we've been doing things for 30 years. Why are we going to change the, you know, what we know has worked and what is true. And one of the things that has always come to my mind, and this is very brash of me to say, but I'll say it anyways, um, is, I mean, if you've never, if you're so unwilling to change, especially when it comes to childhood, we would still be treating children's coughs with heroin. You know, we know that's wrong. The way that I look at it is every group of children and every group of families that we have in our programs are different. Yeah. So we need to be able to meet those children and families' needs. So how are we prepared to do that? We have to be looking at different workshops, different training to meet their needs. We can't do the same training over and over again because we're not dealing with the same dynamics, the same groups of people. Um, and so we have to evolve and yes. grow. And hopefully we want to do that. Yeah. Because the field is evolving and growing and is incredible. And, you know, for me, I'm so, I'm so passionate about early childhood education. I'm so passionate. And I really think we have to advocate as educators for the importance of professional development and funding to go through that. And, um, you know, making sure that educators know that there's funding available, you know, just looking at the ECEBC website and you can see for continuing your education and professional development funding that, that can be available through bursaries, that we are accessing that to broaden our range of experiences. And hopefully managers, owners, um, you know, supervisors are saying, hey, everybody, let's go take this workshop. What about this? Bringing that information to teams, making it a priority within the organization and within the programs. Uh, you know, educators need support that way. And we can do that. In the, as management. Absolutely. And I want to go back to what you said about advocating. Um, I want to ask, because this is something that, you know, I'm sure you've experienced as well as probably every other educator um, out there in the field, be they, you know, in the field for 20, 30 plus years versus, you know, choosing, you know, a student who is choosing to go into the field of early childhood education. How do we advocate that we are professionals and not the babysitters that we were labeled? Because there is so much skepticism sometimes when you uphold this, this, um, this standard to say, I am a professional person. My, you know, my career, my, my sector, it is, you know, it's, it's not, yes, you know, I'm in the sandbox, sometimes hands in the bud, but there is a purpose to that. And there, you know, there's reason behind this. And again, it's not just a babysitter. Like I am a qualified academic professional. My viewpoint on that is education. Yeah. So, you know, I always say there's a purpose and intent behind everything we do as educators. Mm -hmm. 50% of, I feel 50% of our job is educating children and 50% of our job is educating families. 
Mm -hmm. So making sure that people are aware of what that purpose and intent is, whether you're giving out information uh, to your parent group about all of the areas of development that are involved in the invitations and provocations that you're putting forward. Why is your, your environment set up the way that it is? Well, these are the reasons why. Talking about child development, really highlighting the incredible trained educators, capable people that we are, and why we've gone to school for two years, four years, six years, however long you have, and showing that. Um, and really, to me, um, then we'll get treated like professionals. So I think that again, kind of goes back to this idea that, you know, centers have to sort of really uphold that title. Um, and a lot of that now, thankfully, is very much being done by, um, you know, sharing documentation and, you know, doing pedagogical narrations and sitting there and actually, and slowing down, like you said, and not just getting through the day for the sake of getting through the day or, you know, by 9.15, we have to do this. And by 10 o'clock, all the diapers have to be done. And this, this, and this has to be done. But finding a way to slow down, you know, those tasks are still important and they'll get done, but finding a way to make it part of the routine of the day, not a task that we must accomplish in order to get to the next step. For sure. And looking at that whole being present and having an open discussion with your team about what does that mean? And more importantly, what does that look like in your center? You know, for me, when I walk into a center and, you know, if I was a practice supervisory teacher, when I was a manager, what have you, and if I call it the happy murmur of that sound, that happy murmur of engaged children and engaged educators was going on. I could see educators sitting amongst groups of children engaged, that to me is incredible and that shows presence being present where educators are not okay i've got to wash the paint pots i got to go over here we got 10 minutes before we got to be outside that is not engagement and that's not a settled um, space for children or educators and i think we have to remind ourselves to slow down be in that moment take a breath because sometimes i think if we don't, we're going to miss all the incredible learning opportunities, not just for the children, but for us as educators that surround us. Yes, absolutely. And again, I think this idea of slowing down is also something that is still quite new. Um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think, yeah, this idea of slowing down, of being, of, of, and that really does help with the upholding of the title of professionalism because it's within it's finally within those times of not having to get through tasks but being there um holistically and watching things grow and you know taking notes or or having those recordings or doing the voice recordings or the audio recordings um is really when we're able to again like you said up, uphold this idea of professionalism because now it's almost like you now have the proof that hey i i know i see what they're doing and i am taking and i understand the development that is happening and i understand the relationships that are being built here and i am the person that can tell you why this why this is significant 
And two, also speaking to that program family connection, right? Like, and now with COVID, families are not coming into our programs as much. And this is something I talk a lot about in my program family connections workshop is how do we do that? It doesn't mean that we stop that because we can't. That's still no. an, such a vital part of our programs. So thinking about how we still connect with parents and families every day, it's just going to be in a slightly different way, whether it's you're sending, you know, emails, whether you're using apps like Story Park or Yo Mom or what have you, or even as simply as having a whiteboard outside your program where you're writing down what some of the things that are happening or direct quotes from the children that you heard that day or what have you. That kind of connection needs to be there. And through that connection, um, it speaks to professionalism. And that goes back to the idea of evolution and evolving. <laughs> you know, the other side to COVID was it, it made us, you know, it, it forced, it forced us to really get out of those comfort zones and try to build community when you were not be, when you're not able to build a physical community, you now have to build an online community. A hundred percent. I think we've learned so much from that. Like it's okay to do an online orientation with a, a parent or family because you need that. And, and I think that, um, we have to make that a priority because it, it professionalism shows through in so many different ways from our training, from our attitude, from the way that we connect, from the way that we speak to each other and communication. Um, and I always love to say, you know, you're representing yourself as an educator when you're in the program, as well as when you're outside the program. So keeping that in mind too, I think speaks to professionalism as well. Absolutely. Well, Julie, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, you've got so much amazing information and I think it's really cemented the idea that early childhood education is in fact a professional academic career. And the person who's going to be able to uphold that standard is you. Thank you so much, Kayla. I've really enjoyed speaking to you tonight. And so I want to ask, um, where is it that we can find your workshops? And do you have anything that's super special that is upcoming? I know we talked about it a little bit um, at the beginning here, but maybe if you want to tell the audience um, where we can find you, where we can find your workshops, and um, excuse sure. me, anything uh, that's super exciting that's coming up. Sure. So you can find me on Instagram, just under Inspired ECE. My website is www.inspiredece.ca. And you can see it in my Instagram story right now. I've just launched a management series of three separate workshops. Uh, it, the first one is called um, Strategies for Creating a Cohesive Team Culture. The second one is about um, communication in ECE settings. And the third one is on transition to management roles. Amazing. Thank you. Well, I just want to say thank you again to you um, for sharing all of your knowledge and sharing all of this information. I would also like to say thank you to the audience for listening to this week's episode of EC Honestly. And again, if you do have any questions or comments, feel free to send us an email at echonestly at gmail.com. You can always DM us on our Instagram page at echonestly or again on our Facebook page, again, echonestly. And we hope you all have an amazing evening that you have enjoyed today's episode and that you are as excited as we are to look into Julie's workshops. So again, thank you so much um, for joining us on this episode. Mm -hmm.